0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Camp Halfpod. We are your head counselors. I am Erin, daughter of Athena.
1: And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week, we're getting to know some new characters with chapters 5 through 12 of the Son of Neptune. You know, if you wrote down, like, I am stupid, I would read it with no hesitation. You like, definitely. I'm just following your script. For, especially you for that would. intro. Yeah,
0: you definitely would. Mm. I should start adding that into your notes. You should. I would just read it. You would. I would, like, I'm going to go through your notes and add, like, I'm dumb randomly. <laughs> and then you would just read it. And then you'd pause for a second and be like, did I mispronounce that?
1: <laughs> what did I
0: just say? Is it
1: pronounced Chiron or Chiron?
0: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah.
1: Oh, also, man. this is
0: episode fifty. Like, a f- I mean, technically, we've had more than fifty because of the bonus ones. But like, this is the numbered fifty-one, which is really that feels like a milestone. People have listened to fifty hours of us for some reason.
1: More than fifty hours because sometimes these episodes run really long. Yeah.
0: That's more than I listen to myself.
1: Yeah, if I could tune myself, like, the the fact that they are voluntarily coming (laughs) and finding our voices when everyone close to us tunes us out, like, that's incredible to me. It's incredible. I'm going to
0: use that as, like, fodder next time anyone's, like, you're annoying me right now. I'm going to be like, well, actually, there's a good couple hundred people out there who choose to listen to me
1: weekly, so... (laughs) you love real to hear friends. my voice yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> just get increasingly more obnoxious
1: <laughs> get a shirt that says i'm a podcaster oh no 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 <laughs> my fr- friends have like threatened to buy that for me constantly good good yeah they were like like you just went to disney they when i went to disney in october there especially october when we you know, we hadn't gotten to our milestone 50 episodes. They were like, what if you wore this around the park? One of my friends requested it for her birthday. And I said, no, (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry.
0: My love for you only goes so far. I'm not doing that for your birthday.
1: It's like the first level is like you have to explain that you have a podcast, which mm-hmm. is embarrassing. The second yeah. level, you have to explain what the podcast is about, which is also kind of embarrassing.
0: <laughs> yeah. As like, and I then seem you an have adult. to be like, and then when they look at you, you're like, it's actually kind of successful. And they look at, they're like, oh.
1: <laughs> All right. Well. We're going to meet some new characters, as Erin told me to say. Um, we get to talk about <laughs> Hazel and Frank, and we get to hear a bit about them and their backstory, which is always full of secrets. Never can one of these children just be chill with an open backstory. It has to be really winding and weird all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, they are the Seven. They got to be special. But, you know, they should introduce a character. There should have been a member of the Seven who is just like, Boring, like nothing interesting about I mean, I guess you have Jason, Jason? but like yeah. <laughs> his memories were like a race, so like he has some intrigue, it's just not well done. They, no. they need a character who, like, It's just there for the ride, you know? No powers,
1: nothing. Imagine every time it's their chapter, they literally focus on the the, the thing that they're not supposed to focus on talking. Like, there's a battle, but they're, like, hyper-focused on the fact that Percy's shoe is untied. And they don't describe anything else. Yeah, they're like, I'm really worried. Yeah. (laughs) He's
0: gonna trip himself, and I'm just, like, really worried about him.
1: (laughs) One of the villains is doing their monologue, and they're dissociating in the corner, thinking about, like, should I go get Chipotle for lunch? Like, I don't know. What do you think? I
0: feel like that would be the most relatable demigod. Yeah,
1: that's true. (laughs) Putting that ADHD to good use, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not for battle. It's for planning what they're going to eat in five (laughs) days. (laughs) Same. Okay. Um, I've got the Hazel chapters, chapters five through eight. So chapter five, Hazel is, as we recall, we just left off with her introducing Percy and Nico, the traitor who pretends he doesn't know Percy. And Hazel is like, maybe this isn't a good idea, because they're the two most powerful demigods she's ever seen. And it feels like introducing two nuclear bombs. And Percy's immediately like, I know you. He recognizes something about Nico. It's that hot topic Chic look. He's like, <laughs> I no one else dresses like this. And Nico's like, Who, me? Couldn't be. Nope, I've never seen you before. And Hazel can tell that Nico is uncomfortable and he probably knows something about Percy because Percy's just very mysterious right now. He showed up out of nowhere, son of Neptune, blah blah blah. And but Hazel doesn't want to push it in front of Percy. Nico tells them all about what's been happening with Gat Gia. Though he he doesn't say how he knows all of this, i.e. like the existence of the other camp, and asks if Hazel will tell Reyna about Gia rising, because the Camp Jupiter folks don't trust Nico, to which I'm like, I wonder why, you child full of secrets! <laughs>
1: Oscar, he needs an Academy Award for this performance. He acted he his ass off. And he's like, you know, there's like fam, like those guys in movies who have like the secret double family. <laughs> <laughs> this is Nico. Nico has a
0: secret family. It's true, quite literally. Hazel's his sister. Who knows? He could have children, for all we know. Like, he could have a brood of little Nikos. Like, adopted, maybe. I don't know. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I was like, he's a child. Yeah, he's a child himself. I I don't know. He could have a whole family. (laughs) Hazel then thinks that they have more pressing problems than just Gia waking up. Which is kind of funny that, like, the whole plot of the first book was about Gia waking up. And Hazel's just like, that doesn't... whatever. (laughs) I don't care that much about that. Niko explains it in one sentence. Um, Hazel's talking about the fact that nobody is dying. Something is up with death, and as a child of Pluto, or Hades in Nico's case, her and Nico are very well aware that something is going on. But before they can go more into it, Frank shows up, and we also learn here that Hazel has a little begrudging crush on Frank, which is my personal favorite kind of crush. I love when the person hates that they like this stupid idiot. (laughs) It's like how Annabeth's crushes, and I actually think Hazel and Frank are, like, cute in this book. I think it just... I have thoughts on it and the rest. I feel like it it kind of, like, gets lackluster after a bit. The two always apparently get paired together because they're the camp losers. (laughs) And she's like, I refuse to catch feelings for this loser. But she's unfortunately caught some feelings. Frank takes Percy to go along and get cleaned up and Hazel gets some time to chat with Nico. So while chatting with Nico, we learn more about Hazel's powers, which is that a bunch of diamonds and jewels just kind of pop up wherever she goes, especially when she's nervous. And also they're cursed to the touch, which makes matters worse. Like no one can touch them or they'll die.
1: (laughs) It's like a very specific curse too. It's like you will have diamonds and jewels show up, but also you can't touch them. But also this, but also that. It's like Midas's touch, right? Like it can be really simple.
0: Nope, it's in too many layers. So she presses Nico about recognizing Percy. She's like, your acting is not that good, Nico. Get better. But Nico says that he can't tell her more and that Percy has to find his own way at camp. Hazel asks if Percy is dangerous and Nico says only to his enemies. And when I wrote this, I for some reason imagined that song playing in Nico's head where it's like, that girl is so dangerous Because he has thoughts about how hot Percy is.
1: (laughs) I also love the idea that Nico is like, this is the rule. I can't explain myself to him. I'm like, Nico, where is the handbook that you're getting these rules from? Clearly you are making your own (laughs) rules right now. Right? Like, I know, like, apparently, I
0: think I remember... I feel like someone's going to be listening to this who is, like, has recently read the books and been like, you idiots, there are rules. But I think I remember, like, Hades having said so, like, Nico knows about the Greek and Roman, and Hades is like, you can't tell anyone, okay, buddy? But I feel like he could have.
1: My thought Easily. is, like,
0: well, I can't, boy, like, at least tell Annabeth that he saw Percy and that he's okay. I don't know. Oh, Nico, Nico, Nico. So Hazel asks if Percy is like her, which we don't know what that means yet. And Nico says that he's not and tells her that he ha- that she has a cha- second chance to make things right. He also accidentally almost calls her Bianca, which makes oh Hazel God. think, I know it's really sad, calling her by his other family's <laughs> name. <laughs> Which makes Hazel think that she's just the second best thing that Nico was able to get from the underworld since he couldn't get Bianca. And readers are like, what's that supposed to mean? Well, it turns out Hazel was born in 1941 and is from the past. So chapter six, flashback time, Hazel blacks (laughs) out and is in a memory of herself walking home from the riding stables because she's a horse girl and we love that for her. Mm-hmm. she was bullied at school for her cursed diamonds and only <laughs> her fr- I know <laughs> like all the things to bully for again they pick a cool thing I know so her only friend was Sammy who's a Mexican American boy who was basically her boyfriend at the time who has given her a kiss on the cheek that day for her birthday Cheap She promised. I know <laughs> she promised him she'd see him the next day but clearly that's not gonna happen because shit hits the fan here Hazel heads home and gives us some background on her mom, who likes to be called Queen Marie. Queen Marie reads fortunes and sells jewels and charms. For a while, Hazel's gift slash curse brought in business, but as she constantly got these gems and stones. But then everyone kind of started like dying from them or getting Mm -hmm. like going broke or getting injured. And so the news, uh, like the rumor of her curse spread and business went down for queen marie and hazel's mom blamed her for it so hazel's got mother issues hazel gets home and finds her mom sitting alone at the seance table which is a normal thing to have in your household (laughs) and she's muttering to herself about going somewhere much colder and then her mom speaks in a different voice that of an older woman's and tell who tells her not to listen to pluto's warnings and go north away from the god's domain Her mom in this weird voice refers to Hazel as a poisoned child, which rightfully freaks Hazel out. So she flees. She like runs out of the room only to run into her dad, Pluto, himself downstairs, who she's not met before. So Pluto then decides to give her a um, mysteriously kind of useless piece of information, as the gods always do, and says that a descendant of Neptune will one day wash away her curse. And then wishes her happy birthday and goes upstairs <laughs> to talk to Queen Marie. It really reminds me of the brace yourself happy birthday <laughs> message from Poseidon.
1: <laughs> I will say also, I know he's a man, but I keep imagining Pluto like the dog. The dog? Yeah, the cartoon dog just being like, talking to Hazel, being like, a descendant of Neptune or what should <laughs>
0: I didn't even think of that, and that is so good. That's so much. I would watch that.
1: I know. Just like pretend like no one acknowledges that this is a cartoon dog that (laughs) has fathered this child. No wonder your diamonds are cursed. (laughs) Oh God. So uh,
0: she Pluto Pluto bounds upstairs to go talk to (laughs) Queen Marie. Tail wagging. Tail (laughs) wagging. And. Hazel creeps around and listens. She hears him telling her not to go north, that it's insane and a trap, but she doesn't- Queen Marie doesn't listen. When Pluto leaves, she tells Hazel to pack a bag because they're moving to Alaska, apparently.
1: Hmm. Hazel
0: then snaps out of her flashback to find Nico shaking her shoulders. Apparently, these memory flashbacks have been happening a lot, and she, like, passes out and blacks out during them. So it's, like, inconvenient timing. And it could happen during an even worse time, perhaps. And before she can ask him more about Percy, the horns blow down at camp and they are summoned back. I do have a note that's, like, relevant to this chapter that I'll just address, is that I just... Some of the race stuff in the Hazel flashback chapters, it's a similar note to uh, the Piper stuff, where it hits really different as a white man trying to write as a black girl, especially a black girl in the 1940s. Mm. Like, there are a lot... and, And, like... He So specifically, there are a lot of stereotypes like about like Hazel's mom being like a voodoo magic black lady in New Orleans, which like would be different if a black person was writing that. But a white man relying on stereotypes and is like diversity, which was the norm for diversity in media in 2010 when Rick was writing this in like popular media. It's just... Again, it would hit differently if this was written by a black woman. There are certain things he, like, didn't really need to include.
1: Yeah. I think that in order to try to create a character he knew nothing about, people tend to, especially white men mm-hmm. and women writing mm-hmm. about people of color, they tend to then stick to the stereotype and instead of creating diversity, they're just kind of creating this pocket of problems. Yeah. But then you come into the issue of like, oh, well, then I can't write about this character at all. And you're like, you're not hearing the problem. You're not hearing mm-hmm. the critique. You're just focusing on the fact that you were critiqued, not the fact that we're saying things that are, you know, useful to your writing in the future. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Miss
0: the Hazel stuff doesn't, I feel like. The Piper stuff rubs me even more the wrong way Because Piper is specifically ashamed About her heritage Whereas Hazel isn't necessarily Like, she's not, at least in this part Like, dealing with any kind of, like Named, internalized Like, racism towards herself It's just that a lot of the, like The circumstances are About her life are definitely built around stereotypes Mm Mm-hmm So chapter 7 the legion is assembling all five cohorts are gathered to hear reina announce that percy is officially qualified to join the legion hazel offers to stand for him which means she can attest that he's a good person and will apparently get killed along with him if he messes up which is <laughs> not a good thing to do with percy who messes up often and so percy officially joins the fifth cohort aka the loser cohort Percy is now on probatio, or probation, for the first year of service. It just makes me think of... I don't know if you watched Dance Moms. No, I didn't. I don't didn't. think you did. I think it was my own personal shame. And, and whenever the dancers, like, are new to the team or they do something bad, Abby Lee Miller would be like, you're on probation. And that's what I'm imagining. They have a pyramid. <laughs> Percy's at the bottom of the pyramid. <laughs> and then the troops are dismissed for dinner. So then we roll into chapter 8. The last Hazel chapter. The fifth cohort eats their food together. They're a ragtag bunch of weirdos, including this one like leader dude named Dakota who's addicted to Kool-Aid, which is interesting. Hmm. An interesting fun <laughs> fact. <laughs> Hazel and Frank fill Percy in on more details about camp and why the fifth foot cohort has a bad reputation. Bad big reputation. Bad re- okay. <laughs> Apparently the fifth cohort was responsible for losing the Legion's standard eagle. The eagle is the symbol of the whole camp and was supposed to protect them, but there was a huge expedition to Alaska in the 80s, led by the pre at the time, Michael Varys, who was in the 5th cohort. He lost the eagle, and most of the 5th cohort was wiped out, and since then, the camp has been getting weaker. After some nice camp backstory, the horn blows to announce that the war games are beginning.
1: Can you imagine being like, this is now the loser cohort because so many of your people died? (laughs) Yeah, honestly, <laughs> The logic is that? Like, I get it if it was like, oh, you brought dishonor because they lost the standard, but the like, people died. Their entire cohort was wiped out. Only losers die. <laughs> I mean, you that's lost very Roman of
0: them. Yeah. Um, looking at my notes, I've touched on a few of them. Oh, also in the part where Hazel's talking with Nico, we find out that Bianca chose to be right re- reborn, which I'm like, that's really cool. And then I started thinking that it would be really cool if, in like the new book that's about Nico and Will, if like Nico somehow like met the person her soul is in. What if he just like knew that person was Bianca? What if it was like a dog or something? That'd be cool.
1: That'd be cute. It's a dog, it? He'd get so what? weirdly emotionally attached to the, like it would be really unhealthy for him, but I think it'd be <laughs> cute. I think it would be sweet. Um. My other note is that the fifth
0: cohort bad luck spell is very similar to that Hephaestus bad luck spell that Leo deals with in the beginning of uh, the Lost Hero. Except this one, you know, like a bunch of people died instead of Beckendorf. Just Beckendorf, which mm. Beckendorf equally important. But it's interesting how these books like echo each other, and this one does it much better, in my in my humble opinion.
1: Yeah. Whew.
0: Okay. Those are all the Hazel chapters.
1: All right, let's talk about Frank. So Frank's chapters are set up a little bit weird. He kind of goes back and forth what happened while Hazel is explaining her situation. We have learned a lot about Percy's situation. So a lot more flashbacks. Let's go.
0: Wahoo. Chapters 9 through 12. So
1: chapter 9 starts off with um frank marching to the war games he's reflecting on how in the beginning he almost told hazel his secret because like of course he has one none of these children can be chill for like two seconds like i complained earlier (laughs) so they had been on patrol hazel had been complaining about how she was cold and frank was admiring how hot this 13 year old is and i was like cringe cringe Frank alludes to being afraid of fire and then explains that it had only been six weeks since he had joined camp after his mother had died. His grandmother had given him a piece of firewood wrapped in cloth and put it in his pocket and said as long as it was safe, he would be safe. Unfortunately, the firewood kind of lights itself on fire spontaneously when Frank thinks about it too much, so he's determined never to take it out of his pocket. Anyway, Frank and Hazel are chit-chatting when Percy arrives. Frank describes Percy's glory, uh, like Percy taking the Gorgons down, them fighting. Frank was like, I almost died, but Percy saved my life. And after the Gorgons are struck down, he manages to take a couple vials of Gorgon blood. He also mentions that he had already met Juno years ago, or at least his grandmother had. She said that Juno had chosen his path for him years ago. Not all Frank had left to do was wait for his godly parent to claim him. He's pretty sure it's Apollo because archery is the only thing he's good at. But he turned 16, which is apparently a very important age for Romans. And no one had claimed him still. Vitilius, our resident annoying ghost, starts bothering Frank at the armory. So now we've jumped to being sent to the armory after they've rescued Percy and brought him to Reyna. <laughs> and Frank has been sitting with the fact that he has the vials and he's thinking again about Juno when the ghost shows up. The ghost knows all about Frank's past and even asks to see the vials of Gordon blood he's been hiding. They mention it has incredible healing properties, which, Aaron, you mentioned. The secret tool, the surprise tool that comes back in later. Hell yeah. But remember, the other side of the Gorgon, if you take that blood, it will kill you. And the good news is Frank has no idea which vial is which. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mood.
1: Vitilius tells Frank that he could have used it on Percy and given him his memories back. But he then suggests he holds on to it because they actually might need it on their quest. And then he vanishes before explaining what the heck he's talking about. That moment, Raina bursts in and asks Frank to go get Hazel and Percy from uh, Octavian. So uh, Frank runs off to go get them. It's like really the way that he displayed like wrote this like it definitely feels like frank they should have instead of combining these into four chapters he should have just done like every other one so that like he could have gotten it because it's just a lot of like okay first chapter is catch up second chapter is backstory and then also Mm -hmm. a little bit of catch up it's so all over the place anyway now we have frank taking percy back to the baths percy is hammering frank about Questions about Nico, which Frank doesn't actually know any answers to. He does know that Nico makes everyone more nervous because he seems to be almost more Hades than Pluto. When Hades became Roman, he became more respectable, more about wealth rather than just being about death and controlling death. That's why Hazel and him seem so different. The Romans are also a bit more sensitive about the Greeks, they adopted a lot of Greek culture. And then when their empire fell, the Greek side was the one that survived and lived for another thousand years. So the Romans don't like that, to be reminded that they're not original and that they were wiped out and didn't survive. Percy mentions that he remembers a girlfriend but doesn't remember anything else and asks Frank if he's heard of an Annabeth at camp. And of course she's not at camp and Frank doesn't know her. But he asks Percy about like, his mom. And he had any memories about her. And I was like, finally, someone is remembering, per- like, Sally Jackson.
0: It's about time.
1: About time. Percy doesn't remember her, but assumes she must be worried about him. She. He then asks Frank about his mom. And Frank reveals that his mom was in the Canadian military and died in Afghanistan. Percy's super emotionally understanding and gives Frank exactly what he needs. Like, giving him space, not giving him too much pity. And... Frank notes that it seems like Percy has dealt with grief before. Percy then asks Frank to lead him to the baths so he can clean up. And that's the end. And we start Chapter 10, a flashback. What was the noise that you made? Doo, doo, beep, doo, doo, beep, doo beep, 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 beep. There we go. That's the one. Frank reminisces about his mother's funeral. He had been practicing archery on some of his grandmother's porcelain, just racked in grief. Frank's Chinese grandmother is clearly the matriarch of the family, but he is fourth generation Canadian, and he has little respect for his heritage, though his grandmother constantly tries to teach him. This is where his grandmother finds him, and instead of scolding him about destroying her porcelain, she gives him the firewood, saying that his mother had entrusted her to keep it for him, but now he's, she's dead and his grandmother is getting old, and so he cannot teach Frank the skills that he will need to, to survive." His grandmother then drops the truth bomb. Frank's father was a god. His mother had explained to his grandmother she had fallen in love with a Roman god, but didn't tell her which god. And his grandmother, who has great trust and has seen the gods herself, immediately believed her. His grandmother believes that the god was attracted to their bloodline. They have ancient royal Chinese background, and she believed that this god saw that bloodline in his mother. Frank is not understanding. And also it's like his mom's funeral, the day of his mom's funeral. <laughs> so he's having a rough time in general. So his grandmother moves on to talk about the firewood instead. A woman had appeared to her and Frank's mother when Frank was a baby and told his mother in perfect Mandarin that Frank would close the circle. He would turn their family back to their roots and bring them great honor. She then said he would go to camp and restore their reputation there he would free Thantanos from his icy chains and the blood of Pylos is strong in the child from his mom's side and he will also have his father's power and the Zang family gift. But because Frank is then the strongest of the clan, he will have to be the most vulnerable. So the firewood kind of symbolizes that. When the firewood finishes burning out and dies out, Frank will also die. I was like, that is, this is like such strange logic." It's
0: it really like is.
1: the curse all over again. The amount of layers that you have to put just to like create some weird like plot line, like okay,
0: there's some cursed children. I
1: know. And so Frank asks the question that I had been asking the entire time I was reading all of this: is like, why don't you put it in a safety deposit box and just like forget about it, <laughs> or like cover it in like. put it in cement or something, but his grandmother says that they don't know what will happen if they douse the fire in water or anything like that. Will Frank himself become cemented? Will Frank get drowned? They don't know, and his mother wasn't willing to risk that. Also, they have no control if it's not within their own care, and they'd rather trust their own care than put it in a bank or something like that. So now Frank keeps it in his pocket, always. Which doesn't seem like a good idea, but okay. (laughs) She then sends Frank off to camp with the wolves. At camp, Frank meets Rena, who judges him not on the fact that he is apparently related to someone named Shen Lu, who did something bad years ago, but instead on his own merits and what he might be able to bring to the camp. And she also tells him to keep that info that he's related to Shen Yu on the DL, because, like, it probably wouldn't go over well with the rest of his people. Unfortunately for Frank, he has trouble finding anything he's good at, so he can't really even prove himself to Raina. And that brings us back to present day in the War Games. The fifth cohort marches north towards the Field of Mars, where giant fortresses, water cannons, and other monsters and things await, including scorpions that are on fire. Hazel tells Percy that everything was built that day, and the entire Legion is trained to tear everything down and build it up again within one day in case they ever need to move camp. We find War Games is essentially a glorified Capture the Flag with a little bit more pizzazz. (laughs) Everyone is playing except for Nico, who is watching from the stands with binoculars.
0: Why is Nico
1: such a mood? He is just a spectator on everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I really enjoy that quality about him. It it feeds more into the hot topic than the hot topic does itself.
0: You're right, yeah. Yeah. Mm
1: What is more goth than just always being there, like a ghost haunting everyone, (laughs) never participating?
0: (laughs) And like judging everyone a little. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe a lot.
1: A lot, yeah. yeah. So they all use real weapons, and the idea is they hope to heal anyone who gets hurt, but like people have died in these games before. Frank is feeling sympathy for Percy, who he assumes will be knocked off his feet in a second, just like Frank always is. He and Hazel assure Percy that they probably will get the worst jobs and be put in the back so he doesn't have to worry too much. The games start with Hazel and Frank and Percy being told to do whatever, and Frank. but Frank starts getting ideas. He's tired of losing. He has this feeling in his gut of like maybe he can do something this time. And he notices the water cannons, and he thinks if he can get Percy close enough to the water cannons, he can control them like he had controlled the river when he had arrived. But Percy isn't sure he knows how to, and he doesn't know how powerful he is, if he can even reach the cannons from that far away. He then asks Hazel to sneak him through the underground, which is apparently a gift of Pluto that she can do, and have Percy knock the cannons out. If Frank does a good enough job, maybe he can get Apollo's attention and finally get claimed chapter 11 frank is feeling strangely confident about his plan they're walking through the tunnel hazel has found for them and making their way through the enemy's fortress frank then trips over some metal that springs up from the ground and hazel panics telling him not to touch it hazel tells him that she'll explain later but she's clearly spooked by the metal and percy and frank think it's kind of weird they pop out just in front of the wall of their enemy And they notice that the 5th cohort is having a really difficult time. In fact, the other cohorts aren't even advancing anymore. They're just taunting them. Even their allies are just laughing and watching. This pisses Frank off. Frank fires a Hydra arrow at their enemies, and Percy explodes the cannons. This causes everyone to scramble because they did not expect it to come. And Frank's arrow takes out a bunch of monsters and soldiers around them and creates a ladder for them to climb up the wall. Frank commands his cohort to attack, because they're all just kind of like awestruck. They're like, we're actually making progress. (laughs) And they all charge. Frank is feeling unstoppable. Percy's having a great time, and Hazel is swinging around her giant sword. The three of them move together like they've been a team for years and take the flag and rush down the stairs of their enemy base. So chapter 12. The three of them plow through the enemy incredibly fast. The other side is falling apart, partially because they've never actually had a challenge, but mostly because of Percy. His fighting style is completely unorthodox, and he's really, really good at it. They disassemble the army and march with a victory, with victory holding their enemy's banner. Unfortunately, their friend Gwen, who is the leader of the 5th cohort, is really badly injured. In fact, they think she's fully dead? I was like reading those, and I was like, she dies?! They're like, unfortunately, our friend died. Oh <laughs> During capture the flag, yeah. <laughs> it's clear that Gwen was stabbed after the game had been called over, and Rana orders an investigation. There's a huge spear sticking out of her chest, by the way. Frank notices that Octavian doesn't look even a little bit sad, and he's missing one of his spears. <laughs> I was like, there's your evidence. <laughs> Luckily, exactly. in in that moment, Gwen gasps back to life, not realizing she has a huge spear sticking out of her body. Frank, Hazel, and Percy make her close her eyes, and they remove it for her. The wound seems to be closing on its own. Nico says that this is no power of Pluto. He would never let anyone return from the dead, which he then looks at Hazel to be like, Shut up, don't say anything, and then looks back <laughs> at the ground. He's not a smooth man.
0: He's really not. What are you talking about? He's the best actor
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for someone who is a holder of all secrets, he's not a good actor, which is really no. unfortunate for everyone. That's when a thunderous voice explodes, saying, Death loses its hold. This is only the beginning. A huge soldier who's 10 feet tall wearing Canadian Forces desert camouflage walks towards them. He radiates power. He's also holding an M16, like a huge one to fit his 10-foot tall body. And Frank is like almost drawn to him. He walks towards the soldier and takes a knee. The only camper who doesn't kneel is fuck around and find out Mr. Percy Jackson who says, you're Aries, what do you want?
0: I love that he remembers that he hates this guy.
1: (laughs) He literally hears his voice and goes, I know that voice. I don't like this guy. (laughs) But this isn't Aries. This is Mars, who seems to be a little cooler than Aries was and laughs at Percy's spunk. Mars explains that Jupiter has allowed him to speak to his favorite people for a little bit and explains that death has been chained, so no one is dying, including monsters. This is bad because this means endless carnage and enemies that can never be killed. Octavian's like, is that bad if there can't be any death? And Mars is like, can you use some critical thinking skills for once? (laughs) Percy asks, isn't that what Mars would want? Because it's just nonstop battles. And Mars is low-key in love with this asshole. (laughs) Um, Frank is kind of shocked that they keep talking trash with each other like old buddies and he's never seen someone go head-to-head with a god before. So he's like, what is happening? <laughs> the god order, orders a quest to free Thantos by going north to a land beyond the gods. Octavian asks for a prophecy for this to be an official quest, and Mars writes it down. It says, go to Alaska. Phan- th- f- oh. Go to Alaska. Find Thantanos. Th- 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 n- it's Tanatos? Yep. You've been letting me say it <laughs> yeah. wrong the whole time? <laughs> okay, so we have to re-record this entire episode. I'm I like so sorry. Th- I like Tantanos. That's my favorite <laughs> I added came ne- up thin- Oh, I added a lot of extra letters. <laughs> And, okay, well, it says go to Alaska, find Thanatos. Jesus, okay. You know what it says? It says, go to Alaska. That's all. <laughs> That's all it says. Find Thanatos and free him. Come back by sundown on June 24th or die. Nice. Which is my favorite prophecy of all time. It's the only prophecy I will ever accept because it it's straight to the point. There's no mm-hmm. rhymes. Octavian's not happy about it. He's like, <laughs> it has to rhyme. It has to allude to something. And Mars is like, this is what I'm giving you. Shut up. <laughs> Mars then calls Frank over to him. He claims with pride... Oh, he claims him with pride and tells Reyna to give him the MP- MVP award for the game of the day. Frank is horrified that his father is the god of war, but there's literally nothing he can do about it. Mars then gifts him a weapon, a spear made of imperial gold and white bone, which is apparently a dragon bone at the tip, and it crackles with energy. He apparently gets three charges with it. Mars says that Frank will lead the quest and that Percy has to go along because he thinks it'll be funny. <laughs> And then Frank can choose whomever else he wants, and the quest has officially started. All right, so I have a couple notes. The first time I read this, I did not catch that I, like, really hate that Frank is over 16 and Hazel is 13. Because, like, what junior in high school is, like, ugh, 7th grade, that's so hot.
0: (laughs) Right? It's really weird, and I feel like... It honestly feels like Rick didn't really know that that was a weird age difference. Like, he's I been old he, so long or
1: something. <laughs> can you – I think he just, like, okay, what is the respectable age difference? Like, three years between you and a significant other. That's yeah. fine. But that three years only becomes okay after you hit, like, 18. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: And even then, it's kind of like, ugh, you know? Like, I'm yeah. not going to be 22 and dating an 18-year-old. What yeah. are we going to talk about? Where they're applying for college. Like, we're not going to have great conversations. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the, maybe then you have, like, Hazel is a lot older because background, but Frank doesn't know that. Also, like, they all live in the same camp. So they all started at the same time. They have similar life experience. Anyway, I'm saying it's weird. And the moment Frank turns 18 and Hazel is like 15 Ugh. or 16, like yeah, no. it becomes illegal. So <laughs> just yeah. saying that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we've said it. We acknowledge it. Unfortunately, it's a thing. So we will just ignore it for the rest of the time. Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. So I do think it's interesting that he made Frank a fourth generation. Mm-hmm. Um,. And they made him like really bored of his culture Mm. because I think it's easy to get like part of me wants to be mad because it's a white man who's writing it. And I'm like, what do you know about it? But also I think that's super accurate
0: because
1: Mm. he's like 16 now. So when he was like learning his grandma's trying to teach him about, you know, Chinese culture and their heritage, he's probably like a child And or a preteen, and there's nothing I cared less about uh, being a preteen than learning about my family heritage, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if it made me even more different than my peers. And if he's a fourth generation Canadian, he probably feels really removed from his Chinese background, and also the fact that I'm guessing that he's not around a lot of other Chinese, either he's around not a lot of Chinese people. Or immigrants in general. Or he's around too many. And so he needs to be mm. different and feel assimilated. I've seen it both ways. Mm-hmm. Which I always think is very interesting. Then you have like the medium people who just like. You know. They're like okay. Like I think it's something that you kind of grasp onto when you're older. So it's like. I think this was weirdly one of the better written character backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of a like a white man writing about something he doesn't know about. Mm-hmm. And I should be mad about it, but he's done okay, so I can't be.
0: You're like, you're on thin ice, Rick. Yeah.
1: I also had to Google, like, I was like, fourth generation, so I was like, okay, what does that mean? And it basically means that the first generation is the first set of immigrants to become um, citizens of the state. So, Mm -hmm. I'm technically first generation because I got, I'm a citizen before my parents became citizens. Mm Mm-hmm. But it can get complicated because I was so born it means here.
0: Likely, like Frank's great-grandparent was a first generation.
1: That's my understanding, but I th- uh-huh. I think it also could mean that, um, Grandma moved, became a citizen of Canada, and then had grand. Uh, her- so she became then the first generation. Yeah. Had yeah. her daughter, so it was a second generation uh still fourth generation yeah yeah that's a lot of generations like no wonder Mm -hmm. he doesn't really have any ties to his background being Mm -hmm. chinese uh i have to look this up fourth generation immigrant meaning what It only goes up to second generation. And there's a 2.5 oh. generation, too. So, apparently... Google has failed us. <laughs> I know. Second generation can be people with one foreign-born parent. Oh. hmm And then Canada defines second generation as individuals who were born in Canada and had at least one parent born outside Canada. So... Grandma was born in Canada. Mm-hmm. Mom had to be born in also Canada. Uh-huh. So that's quite fully removed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Or a grandma was born in China, but then became a... Si- no, still doesn't okay. work. Or no. That would be
0: great, great. It would have to be great grandma. Great grandma.
1: <laughs> interesting. I thought that was really the interesting that he's like pushing that. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, like third generation would make more sense.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Anyway, um, (laughs) I tangent. tangent, I also vividly remembering reading this book and reading like there's like a bit where he talks about Percy fighting like a demon and just like destroying everyone, and I was just I remember it so vividly because I was like, finally,
0: he's Mm -hmm. back, my boy. I love how they're, like, he's fighting, like, a lunatic. Like, they're, (laughs) like, what is his technique? I just like imagining Percy just flailing around and making it work.
1: Well, because they describe, like, the Roman ways to, like, stab at the chest. Like, you know, really upfront, confrontational, and Percy's swiping at people's feet. Yeah. (laughs) Also, war games sound so cool. They sound so much cooler than Capture the Flag in the Woods. Like, <laughs> you get like structure. You have like.
0: But they die.
1: Yeah, that's the price you pay for cooler games. <laughs> for <structure. there.
0: laughs> it's the price you pay for structure. death.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, those are my notes.
0: Wonderful. Okay, we have a couple of the lightning questions. One is from Felix on Instagram, asked how hard do you think the stress and pressure of Reina's job of Praetor is compared to what you do for work? (laughs) I thought that was such a fun question.
1: (laughs) That is so fun. Do you want to go first? I
0: mean, I can. I I think our job is much more stressful. (laughs) Like, I work in, like, um... Like, I work in, like, project coordination for virtual learning for educators. And so... It occasionally is stressful when we have a lot of courses going on at once, but I'm never like irresponsible for people's lives. <laughs> so yeah, even even when I've worked like when I did my like practicum placement as like essentially like a clinician, like a case manager therapist, Reina's was still harder, and that was yeah. not an easy job. <laughs> it's like. At least I'm not leading an army.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's like no life or death. Gods aren't involved in my yeah. job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally get like a lot of the stuff that she's trying to handle where she's the boss and she's definitely has a lot of pressure on her shoulders. I I can see kind of feels very politician-y like she's trying to be a leader, but everyone is stupid and not good at their job around her. Yeah. I feel that one. Um yeah, no, nothing. The like the most stressful thing that I did is like, is just the amount of responsibility I had was more correlated into spending grant money and so it, it was like mm. money that I couldn't even possibly fathom amount that I was like doing experiments with. So that was pressure, but like money versus like I one wrong move and my entire legion dies, like children under the age of 18 are dying. Like that's a lot more stressful.
0: It really puts it in perspective.
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Alright, my question is Capture the Flag or War Games?
0: I kind of pick Capture the Flag.
1: Why? you? I thought you would love structure. Well,
0: I do love structure. Except in games, I really don't like teamwork. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Capture the Flag is all about teamwork.
0: See, but I feel like At the Greek at Camp Half Blood, I could go off and like climb around in the trees and do my own thing during the game and like win it for everyone. I know that's like a very self (laughs) aggrandizing version of what would not never happen. Um, But in war games, you're like playing as a team. I guess you're playing as a team in both. I do like structure, it's just like the death aspect in the war game sounds a little bit scary. People
1: have died in Capture the Flag too. Which but seems never like a
0: in the books yet.
1: <laughs> no, that's true. I think they just wanted to he wanted to demonstrate that nobody was dying and they wouldn't believe it unless someone died and then came yeah. back to life. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But Percy I... almost dies because of Luke. That's
0: true. Yeah. That's true. Good old Luke. Good old Luke. Luke Luke.
1: I like I mean, I like the terrain of Capture the Flag where you get to, like, hide behind trees. Yeah, and, like, be in nature, it seems very campy. This feels like you're in a stadium and it's, like, a lot more... It's kind of like dodgeball where you're forced to participate. Like, you can't just go sit, like, hide under a tree. Yeah. So that kind of feels crappy, but it does sound fun, just, like, tactical planning and going and trying to be sneaky and all of this stuff does sound fun i do. I think sneaking. i just want an activity i think i'm bored <laughs> you're
0: like someone put me in a war
1: game i now. know <laughs> which is like not apps because like you know timing wise mm, not a big fan of war games i'm just saying with a no. glorified capture the flag sounds that fun. would be fun yeah yeah that
0: would be so fun
1: Alright, and my last question is which Roman-Greek combo do you think is the most different?
0: Ooh, like their Roman side is way different from their Greek? Yeah. I think probably, like, Athena comes to mind, because Minerva, they took out all the war stuff for her, right? Yeah. So she's, like, literally a different- I mean, that was kind of the whole- one of the like, three lines of Mark of Athena, is that Athena is angry about Minerva and tormenting Annabeth about it for some reason. So the rest of her children...
1: (laughs) Isn't it also, she also is not wisdom. She's just weaving yeah. or something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, let me look it up. If I type okay. in Minerva, it's going to be like Minerva McGonagall. I'll be like <laughs> close, but no.
1: Simply because Romans really didn't, like, Greeks already didn't really value women, but at least they gave their, themselves mm. some goddesses. But Romans really hated women.
0: Yeah, it's Minerva is just the goddess of handicrafts, professions, arts, and then later they added war to her. Mm. So they took away wisdom, actually. Yeah, interesting. And they took away war, but then they like gave it back when they were like, "She's kind of boring."
1: <laughs> I guess make her spicier. Yeah, yeah, make her this interesting. Was, they were like, "Oh, feminism. Let's make Minerva <laughs> also into war." <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's a big difference. I think does Artemis exist in Roman?
0: I think so. Let me.
1: I feel like it's mostly women.
0: I think her, her. Oh, Diana. Yeah.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But she's like not as. She's more like dainty. She's not as like huntressy, right?
0: Let's see. Um, the goddess of wild animals and the hunt, identified Uh with Artemis. Uh. She's also the goddess of domestic animals and a fertility deity.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. They made her fertility.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. She seems kind of similar.
1: They have Flora, which is Persephone.
0: Ooh. Flower.
1: Vesta, which is the same as Hestia. Venus, same. Ceres.
0: Diana, yeah.
1: And... Oh, Salacia was the goddess of salt water. That's, That's new.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I guess because well, no, I don't. Why didn't the Greeks have a saltwater god, or goddess? Hm. The Romans just like took things and were like, we're gonna make it more interesting, but like <laughs> they didn't do a very good job of it. They kind of made it more boring.
1: Well, it's because they have so many minor gods too. Yeah, it's <laughs> just like oh. This rock, this is be the (laughs) god of this rock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think Minerva is the most different. Yeah, all the gods kind of stayed the same, they might they just made them more dignified. I don't think they liked the whole the Greeks loved being a bit messy and they liked their gods a bit messy, and so I think they polished that up. Like, I don't think Jupiter goes and has as many wild affairs and. Like, Pluto isn't so, like, grungy and yeah gothy. It's more just like, I like my diamonds.
0: He's like a nice businessman.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very much the, like, like, co- corporation. What is it? What's yeah. the word I'm thinking of? Corporatized. The gods.
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> more sellable.
0: Mm-hmm. Packageable.
1: Commercial. Yeah, you know. yeah
0: commercialized the gods. Yeah.
1: They have to like relate to the everyday man. And Zeus was relating too much to the everyday man, so they (laughs) needed to clean it up. In the wrong
0: kind of way.
1: (laughs) The guy, too, would turn into a swan for a beautiful, just to get a, you know, a good time with a beautiful woman once. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And consent is fishy, you know.
0: Oh, Oh, Zeus.
1: Oh, Zeus. All right, so Son of Neptune chapters 13 through 20 next time. We're going to be starting our quest.
0: Yay! And if you are interested in supporting us, you can find the Patreon link in the episode description, also the link for sending us an audio message if you have any questions or any comments you ever want to put your voice on on air.
1: <laughs> Don't forget to follow us, if you aren't already, social media at Camp Half Pod. And you can email us,
0: camphalfpod at gmail.com.
1: Don't forget to rate and review. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. (laughs)